Well, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit, and if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 19. Week one was love, and then last week was joy, and then this week is peace, love, joy, peace, and peace is going to be the big word today, and it's a word that you can think about in lots of different ways. And we could have sermon after sermon about the work that God does inside of us, of Jesus coming and say, peace, be still, trust me. And I so appreciated our communion time to think about that. But today, I, I want to not only think about that, but I want us to think about how peace changes our interactions with other people, how we become peacemakers, because fruit doesn't just grow on the inside of a tree and nobody ever sees it, Right? Fruit grows on the outside of the tree, and it feeds people, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And so the fruit of the Spirit uh, impacts the people we interact with. And specifically, we want to talk about how the peace of God helps us interact with people who are lost and don't know Jesus yet. My friend Catherine, who is a fellow author, and I met her kind of through the writing process, has been kind to me, and she told a story this last week. She, last Sunday, was driving to church uh, with her family, and she noticed in the back seat that both of her boys had brought their Nerf uh, guns, and they were sitting with the Nerf guns on their lap, and she's like, boys, what, what are you doing? Why did you bring those? And at the same time, they both pointed at the other one and said, in case he tries to shoot me. <laughs> and, and then... Catherine's daughter from way back in the van said, duh, why didn't you both just leave them at home? Yeah, um, once again, a woman making more sense than the males, but uh, uh, the boys, you know, were all, you know, fired up and ready to go there, but our culture, I, that, I love that little story because it's kind of a snapshot of our whole culture, right? That, that we go in with our argument, with our fight, with our comeback, all ready to go just in case we need to use it. But God wants us to learn to be at peace with people. And when we talk about that word peace, we just need to understand it. And so we have a video that I think is going to be really helpful. Kids, we're so glad that you're here with us. It's important to have you here with us. We love Family Worship Sundays once a month. Uh, but I think this video will help kids. It will help adults. It certainly helped me understand what that word peace means. So watch the video common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. 
In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Isn't that helpful? So when we think about peace, we think about if you ask somebody, how are you? Are you well? Because if anything is wrong with them, right? I'm like, they might have 10 things going well, but if they just fell down and, and their knee was bleeding, they would say, yeah, I just, my knee kind of hurts. So peace is this kind of wholeness, this fullness that we want to help people experience peace with God first and peace with each other, and that works through the Holy Spirit inside of us. So I have some pictures, and I just want to get your opinion of them. So you can kind of, you know, say thumbs up or thumbs down just based on these pictures, or you can clap or boo or, you know, whatever it is. So, okay, picture one. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, that's Cherry Street under construction right there. What do you think about that? There's actually no such thing as a super quick trip, but if there was, it would look like that, and it would be really awesome. What do you think about that? Okay, some people a little nervous. Most people kind of like that. What, what about that? Did you hear the story that the temperatures dropped in Florida, and if it gets in the 30s in Florida, that iguanas like go into hibernation, and they fall from the trees onto the ground? Like, true story. This happened this week. Iguanas were falling to the ground, and I don't know if you want an iguana falling on your head, um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, and we have one more picture, I believe, here that Jesus, I can tell you, I, I don't know if Jesus would have liked QT slushies or water slides, but when Jesus saw this, I know exactly what he would think. He would say, those are my people. Those are my kids. I love those people. 
And sometimes maybe when you see a crowd or when I see a crowd, I'm like, oh, I need to kind of uh, get away from this crowd a little bit or it's too big. But sometimes when you see a person, you're like, I'm going to stay away from that person. But when Jesus saw people, he loved them. So with that in mind, I want to read a story about love, a story about peace, and a story about being a peacemaker and bringing peace to someone's life and to someone's situation and to all of the people around him. It's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Been there, done that. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in your, in your little... Uh, sermon guide there in the bulletin, the sermon page, if you want to take some notes, I'm going to say three things about being a peacemaker, that if, if Jesus' peace on the inside is impacting us into how we treat other people, these three things will be true. Number one, the peacemaker goes to those who need peace. When Jesus reached, did you hear that? When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. He went to a spot. Aaron Chambers writes this. When Jesus saw lost people, he did, did not ignore them. He wasn't too busy for them. He saw them walking their dogs around the neighborhood. He saw them argue, arguing at the neighborhood restaurant. He saw them crying by themselves on the back row of the church. He saw them dropping off their kids at daycare so they can make it to their second job. He saw them pretending everything was okay with smiling pictures on Instagram. He didn't step to the right to avoid someone on the left. He did not make blanket statements about them. He did not make assumptions about them because of the way they dressed. He did not avoid being seen with them because of how that might impact his ministry. He did not make fun of them because they weren't manly enough or skinny enough or rich enough or perfect enough. He, when he found out that they were homeless or in prison or jobless, never forgot about them with a dismissive, they finally got what they deserved. He did not look at lost people as if they were second-class citizens. He did not see tattoos or piercing or music or politics as obstacles to their salvation. He did not see addictions or depression or mental illness or physical disability or social awkwardness or emotional frailty as disqualifiers that needed to be conquered before they could come to God. He did not see them as sin, but sinners who needed salvation. Reminds me of the old phrase that Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin, and Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. So about a year and a half ago, I bought a Subaru, 
And so that meant I, I didn't know at the time, we were just talking about this earlier, but when you buy a Subaru, you suddenly belong to like the Subaru club. I didn't know that. It's kind of like a hiking, backpacking, mountain biking, slash kind of rider and go to the library a lot club. That's kind of the, the people of Subaru, right, Ron? Ron's the one who talked me into it. He's the only person I really knew with a Subaru, but I'd never really noticed Subarus before until about a year and a half ago, and I started looking, and I just really liked that they were really simple. It's easy to change the battery. It's easy just to do stuff. It's just a real simple car. And so I'm not a big car guy. I never noticed them a lot, but once I bought a Subaru, you know what I saw all over Tulsa? Subarus. They're everywhere. There's even blue ones just like mine that I see driving around. We're always like, hey, there's a Subaru. There's a Subaru. When we went out to New Mexico a year ago, that's the only thing anybody drives. So it was really easy there because everybody backpacks and hikes in New Mexico. It's like you pull into a parking lot and you have no idea which car yours is later because it's just all Subarus. But isn't it funny how you can be kind of oblivious to something, but once you buy it or you learn about it, then you kind of see it everywhere? That's the way it is with Subarus. I never would have noticed one before. Now I see them everywhere. But if, if you realize the way that Jesus looks at lost people and lonely people and sick people, if, if you realize that, then you see it everywhere in the Gospels. I mean, you look all through the New Testament, and Jesus is seeing people in a way that I often don't see people John chapter 5, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Luke 13, woman, uh, it says, when he saw her, he called her and said, woman, you are free from your sickness. John 11, when Jesus saw her weeping, Mark 10, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Matthew 9, it says he saw the crowds and had compassion on them. Jesus saw and saw and saw. So in the midst of all of these people, this huge crowd of people, people saying, hey, Jesus, come here. Jesus, come here. Jesus, tell me about this. Jesus sees this little dude in a tree. How in the world do you notice that guy? Because Jesus was always scanning the crowd for the person who needed him the most. We usually scan the crowd for the person that will make us feel most comfortable, and we go to them, right? Or we scan the crowd for the person that we want to kind of silently judge in our head. Jesus is scanning the crowd thinking, who needs me? Who who desires to learn from me? Whom can I help? And what did Jesus see when he looked at Zacchaeus? You know, we often talk about how this story is Zacchaeus looking for Jesus But don't miss that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. But when Jesus sees Zacchaeus, he sees somebody who is searching. Now, we don't know why Zacchaeus climbed the tree to see Jesus. Like maybe he was deeply seeking God and he was so tired of his cheating, filthy rich life, taking advantage of other people. Or maybe it was just like a celebrity sighting. He's like, celebrities coming, I want to see him. Maybe I can get an autograph. We're not exactly sure, but it seems like His heart was ready to meet Jesus. There was at least some curiosity about who this Jesus guy was. So he climbs up the sycamore tree. They could have been like 30 feet high or so. He gets quite a ways off the ground. And uh, Jesus sees him there. And and I want to ask you, what are you looking for? In your life, what are you looking for? Because of all the 
things in Zacchaeus' life, the greatest thing he did was to look for Jesus that day. And not just to catch a small glimpse of him, but to see him well. And there are ways that you and I can see Jesus and to see him better, even today. Being here, it's our prayer that you would see Jesus better while you're here on Sunday morning. If you're in a small group or in a Bible study, we want you to see Jesus better. Every time you serve the poor, the hungry, the person in need, you get a little better glimpse of Jesus. When you're at home early in the morning or late at night or during the lunch hour and you open up your Bible and you read, you see Jesus a little bit better. A few years ago, there was a a group of salesmen that I read about who uh, had been at this important uh, convention, but they had a flight in the afternoon, and they had all promised their families that they were going to be home in time for dinner after they caught their flight. So they were rushing through the airport, as many people do, trying to catch their flight so they can see uh, their family. And as they were rushing around the corner, they knocked over an apple fruit stand uh, that somebody was manning, but they hardly even saw what happened. They just kind of saw fruit go flying, and they just kept going because they weren't sure they were going to make it to their gate in time. And as they got close to the gate, one of them just said, hey, guys, I, I got to go back. If I don't get on the flight, just let my wife know I'm really sorry, and I'll be there as quick as I can. And he turned and he walked back, and what he saw was a 16-year-old girl who was completely blind crawling around the airport floor trying to find the apples that were rolling all over the place. She was crying and just overwhelmed, and nobody was stopping to help. They were stepping over her, stepping over the apples. And he got down beside her on his knees, and he said, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I'm going to help you if that's okay. And she said, yeah. And so he got the basket, and he started helping her, and they kind of sorted through which apples they needed to just throw away and which were okay to clean up. And he got her kind of squared away, and then he took out his wallet, and he said, here's some money, because I know that some of the stuff is damaged for you. And he he said, i got to go now. And as he turned to walk away, she said, sir, are you Jesus? I'm wondering when the last time you've been confused for Jesus was, and when the last time I've been confused. From someone who's blind but can see clearly enough to know the love and the actions of Jesus. Because what he did in that moment was help someone who had no peace in her life find some peace in her life, to bring wholeness to that little situation. Now, I don't know about, all about her and her heart. I don't know the rest of the story. All I know is he cared about her. He saw her, and he helped bring peace to the situation. The text says he went to the spot. Jesus went to the spot, and he talked to Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, can I come over? That means, Zacchaeus, I want to be your friend. I I want to have dinner at your house. And so he came to the spot. Notice that he did not just keep walking and think, well, if he really wants to get close to me, he can come find me. Do you remember the parable last week of the lost sheep? One sheep gets away and wanders off, and the shepherd is still with the 99. Does the shepherd just say, Meh, good luck finding your way back. I hope he makes it back. No. He goes looking. He goes to the sheep's spot. He goes to that spot where he thinks he can find the sheep. And all throughout the New Testament, again, 
And all throughout the Bible, we see God going to the spot where people are. It's the incarnation. It's the Christmas story that Jesus came to the spot where we are because he comes to us. One of our deep prayers at Highland Park, something that is on my heart, honestly, all the time, is that we desire this church to care more about going to the spot than attracting people to this spot. Now, we, we don't want to be, like, unattractive to people. We don't want to have, like, nasty bathrooms and, you know, the most boring thing ever for kids. Um, you already endure my sermons, all right? So we don't want to be unattractive to people, but we don't want attracting people to be our main thing because it's not the gospel's main thing. The gospel's main thing is not, hey, bring everybody to me as in a human being. It's to go to them so I can help them know Jesus. And so while we want to do things that are are healthy here and helpful here, we want you to bring your friends here, our greatest desire is to equip you so you can go to the spots where you need to go. And we can be together to have energy and fellowship and be ready to go do that the rest of the week. So it's not just about attracting, but about going. That's the mission that God has for us. Okay, that first point was a long one. The next two are really quick. Number two, the peacemaker cares more about God's command than people's criticism. Did you catch that we're three for three now in text here where somebody mutters, somebody complains? Why is Jesus hanging out with Zacchaeus? We want him to hate Zacchaeus like we hate Zacchaeus. Why would you talk to him? Why would you be nice to him? You know, muttering is the opposite of joy. It flows out of a bitter heart. It's the song of a very sad soul. That's what muttering is. And when we mutter, something is wrong with our hearts because God says, don't complain about anything. Don't argue about anything. Don't get all worked up about anything. But be at peace. You can't be at peace and muttering. And yet these people are muttering that Jesus cares enough about Zacchaeus to bring peace to his life. And so if somebody's muttering about the people you're hanging out with, you might be doing the right thing. You might. R.C. Foster notes that tax collectors were regarded as having forfeited their birthright to Abraham. And what that means is that if you became a tax collector, then you were no longer part of God's family. And did you catch what Jesus says? This man, too, is a son of Abraham. So Jesus says the very words to refute what the culture said. The culture said, if you're a tax collector, you can't be in God's family. And Jesus comes and says, this guy's in God's family. It's happened right here. So I don't care about your criticism and your your cold remarks and your hatred for this man. I love this man more than I care about all that even if I lose my reputation in the deal. So Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost, to help the people who don't know Jesus, or don't know me. That's my thing. So he goes to their spot. See, when we're trying to help people know Jesus, we are limited not by our abilities, but often by our vision. Because we see people for all the wrong things, and Jesus sees them for who they can become. Number three. The peacemaker prays for others to have peace with God and 
peace with people. Did you catch what Zacchaeus does? He says, hey, I'm going to pay back everybody I wronged, and if I cheated them out of something, I'm going to give it back four times. Do you think about the implications of that? There's a lot of money. But realize that Zacchaeus had ruined people's lives. Like there were people who were maybe borderline starving to death because of how he had mistreated them and cheated them. And so imagine if Zacchaeus showed up at this little uh, tin hut where someone is, and they barely have enough to feed their kids, and they're working three or four jobs, but he's cheating them out of their, all their stuff, and Zacchaeus shows up and says, hey, I'm a child of God now. I've been saved. Would you forgive me? They might or they might not. A number of people would, but it'd be pretty difficult. Okay, now what if the same thing happened, and Zacchaeus went to them and he said, would you please forgive me? And regardless of if you forgive me or not, I know I cheated you out of a thousand, and I know that's cost you dearly over the years. Here's 4,000. Do you think that goes a little bit of a longer way? Yeah, for anybody it does. Restitution matters. When you've wronged somebody, you do everything you can to make it right. Why? Peace. Because God cares about you making peace with people. That doesn't mean the person is going to forgive you, and that doesn't mean the person is going to be nice to you, but the Bible says do everything you can to be at peace with other people. So that means you pay back what you've cheated. If you've done something wrong, you tr try your best to make it right. You, you say what you need to say. You do everything that you can, because when peace is in our heart, it not only impacts us, but it impacts our community. It impacts Tulsa. It impacts the world that we need to do whatever we can to help people be at peace with one another. And we use that word, that big word, reconciliation a lot. And if you're a kid, that's kind of a big word. But reconciliation just means two people who are apart coming together. And that's why we talk about how our culture likes to push people apart. You know, old people versus younger people. And... Um, People of this skin color against people of this skin color, and people who speak this language versus people who speak this language, and people who are rich versus people who are poor, and Republicans versus Democrats, and on and on and on and on and on. And if you turn on the media, almost everything there, if you just look at it through the filter of it, is it trying to divide us or bring us together? It's almost all of this. And so as a church, we're standing right here saying one of the things that God has called us to do is to bring people together because God cares about peace with people. So we're going to pray for it. We can't make it all happen. We can't make someone come together, but we can do everything we can to be people of peace, to be peacemakers, because Jesus is a peacemaker. And so we, we our first goal here on this planet is to help people be at peace with God, okay? Vertical peace. But we also, along with that, care about horizontal peace, this way, helping people be at peace with one another. And so if you're in a small group, we love that if you're in a small group, there's probably some type of, probably a lot of types of diversity in your small group. If you're in a ministry team, we love when there's diversity, different ages and people of different backgrounds together. And we want to keep leaning into that because that shows the world something that they don't see anywhere else. That shows the world the gospel has changed them to love people in which is just incredible. So we care about being peacemakers. If you're here today and you're not at peace with God, 
and you're not at peace with your fellow man, with your, your family members, with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, I want you to know that Jesus wants you to experience peace. He, he, he doesn't promise that somebody else is always going to respond well to you, but he wants you to be at peace with him. And if you respond to him and follow him, he will give you a peace that he says surpasses all the understanding. The Bible calls Jesus the prince of peace. And he will bring you peace even in your most troubled state. And so this morning, we're going to sing a couple more songs in a moment. And during that time, I just want to invite you. In fact, I want to beg you to just ask, am I at peace with God? And if you're not, would you take steps so that you can be at peace with God? If you need to go on your knees right now and pray and talk to him, if you need to ask someone next to you to pray for you, you can do that. If you want someone to pray with you and to talk with somebody about being at peace with God, well, some folks on this front row and this front row right over here, you can just make your way forward and they'll be standing there ready to talk with you and to pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you about a family situation or a friend situation or a neighborhood situation, whatever it might be, we would love to do that too. We want you to find peace. Would you stand and let me pray? God, thank you for sacrificing everything so that we can have peace with you. And I pray for the person whose heart is just turbulent and afraid or overwhelmed that today they could hear your voice saying, peace, be still. And just like those waves were crashing over the boat in the sea, that they would experience in their soul just the calmness of your love, the assurance of your faithfulness in their lives. Lord, we want to experience your peace on the inside, but we don't want to just bottle it up there. We want to be people of peace that help people find peace with you and with others. We want to see them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.